Amen. I'd like to thank again our brother Scott Sims coming up from Cincinnati. <laughs> Having blessed our hearts this morning as a guest musician, I'm going to have a stand as we read God's word and we get into as we're continuing in chapter eight. And we realize that Jesus again was continuing to demonstrate his authority and in this time, in the authority of Jesus and him demonstrating that authority, um, he is now, he is now um, showing in his authority and telling us and proclaiming to us that following him, now remember he, he talked about why you should follow him as king, and now that you follow him as king, he's letting us know it comes with a cost. Not so that we can shy away and go, I don't want to do that but that we can know what to expect and we prepare for it. And so this morning's text is going to focus on discipleship does cost. Discipleship does cost. And going to be reading chapter 8 in your bulletin. We only have verses um, 18 through 22, but the entire text is all the way to verse 27. And we're going to be looking at that. So let's just read together. If you have it in your Bibles, you can go ahead and follow along, but it's in the centerfold of your bulletin. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go other, over to the other side. And a scribe came up to him and said to him, excuse me, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Amen. You may be seated. The word of the Lord. I have a little bit of an echo. I don't know if you guys can hear that, if you can kind of get that out of. Mia would appreciate it. You know what? Every time we make a choice to do something, every time we make a choice to do something, it is at the expense of something else that we don't get to do. In other words, when you choose to go to one restaurant, there's a whole list of other ones you've chosen not to go to. That when you go to see a particular movie, I know some of y'all, after you finish, you like to slide into the next one down and see if you can catch the end, but... I don't like doing that because I like to catch a movie from its beginning. But, 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 but when you choose a, a, a movie to go to, that means that you've chosen a whole list of other ones not to go to. When you've chosen a particular way of life, sometimes it also brings with it a cost. In other words, when you chose to go and further that education, or if you chose to go to college, or you chose to go to graduate school, or you chose to get your doctorate, it came at the expense of something else. You couldn't hang out with the friends all the time that you used to. You couldn't do some of the things you did. Some of the freedom that you had went out the door. Some of the money that you would spend on other things, you were spending on school. And so our choices always come with a cost. But somehow, we don't realize that when we come up under the leadership of Christ, that somehow when we choose to follow Jesus, there's no cost. See, we've kind of mistaken something. We thought that it said since salvation was free, 
following Christ was costless. We mixed the two up. That, that, that when we came to Christ, he said, well, well, salvation was free. Well, free for us. It cost him his life. And so because of that, we are able to come freely. In other words, we don't have to earn salvation. There isn't anything that you and I can do that make Jesus go, okay, now you're in. So we tend to take that now, and when it comes to following Christ, we tend to say there shouldn't be a cost. And now we begin to get tripped up and we begin to fall and stumble when things happen because we weren't expecting trials. We weren't expecting something to come in the way. We weren't expecting life to turn the way it did. After all, Jesus, I came to you. And some of us actually have the nerve to say, Jesus, after all, I gave up for you. As if what you gave up Let's him know, oh, now, now I can let you in. And so this morning in our text, what Jesus actually shows us is after he demonstrated the, the, the power of his touch in the leper and in his word up close and then the power of his word, it was authoritative that he didn't even have to show up for his will to be accomplished in the account of the centurion with his servant, now we get to where Jesus is now getting ready to teach about the cost of following him. What does it cost? You know, everyone has their dream vacation, but not everyone realizes that dream vacation. Why? Because that dream vacation costs more than what you either can afford or that you're willing to pay. And so we don't do it. And Jesus tells you and I this morning, following me has a cost. One of the things I like is when it starts out in verse 18, it says, now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, I'm going to pause there for a second, because when people were gathered because of him, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, I'm going to stop there for a second. What happens when you are doing something and a crowd starts to form around you? Now the pressure's on. Now you think, hey, I really got to do my thing. I really got to let people know who I am and see what I'm... Maybe you get intimidated. Maybe you get encouraged. Maybe you get puffed up. Maybe you start getting into excellence mode. What happens when the crowd gathers? And I'm not, I'm not talking about they gather around you because someone close to you is doing something and you just happen to be the benefit of it. No, they're gathering be because of you. And so we see here, my first point I want us to understand is Jesus is never swayed by the crowds. He never plays to the crowd. He never does things for the pleasure of the crowd. And so Jesus is always swayed by mission, and he's not swayed by the crowd. What I mean by mission? Jesus was always swayed by what his father had for him to do. And in this particular case, it says when he saw the crowd, he didn't try to do something to keep the crowd. He said when Jesus saw the crowd, he gave orders to go, other, to, to go over to the other side. They were by the lake. Remember, he was in Capernaum. They were by the Sea of Galilee, which now is actually called Lake, um, lake Kennerit. Today, if you go into 
Israel, but it is the Sea of Galilee. They were gathered around, I mean, they were there, and he was telling them to go over to the other side, one of the other shores. Sea of Galilee is, a, for there, it's a pretty good-sized lake. No, it doesn't compare to one of ours. I wanted to see the size. Like, what does what is the Sea of Galilee compare to, like, Lake Michigan? Uh, lake Michigan is about three to four times the size. It doesn't compare, but it was still pretty big. It was 13 miles long. It covered a 64-square-mile radius. And so it was their largest in that region. And so the Sea of Galilee, when you're going to the other side, that's a pretty, I mean, that's a decent trip for them. And understand, they had fishermen in the group. So he said to his disciples, and in this particular case, it was those, that, that small group that he had assembled, even though we hear about some other disciples here. So when he says to them, he gave the command to go over to the other side. Now remember, he just finished saying how his word was authoritative. Remember that he just proved it, that when I speak and when I give directions and when I say something, when I do it, it's going to happen. He proved it in the leper when he said, I will that you'll be clean. And then he proved it with the centurion when he told them, go, it is as you believed. And by the time they got home, the servant was healed. And they found out that it was healed at the moment, at the time that Jesus had spoken. And so now he speaks again and he says, go over to the other side. And as they were getting ready to go, they get interrupted. They get interrupted. And then my second point comes into play. And that is that Jesus demands, I'm sorry, that Jesus' demands for following him are costly. Jesus' demands for following him are actually costly. So two people stop him. And they're going to represent two different kinds of people that even today exist when it comes to following Christ. First one, he comes up, it says, and a scribe. Now understand just real quick who a scribe was. That would be someone who understood Jewish law well and someone who would have had some status and someone now who usually they were in opposition to Jesus. And so you get here someone that wasn't. Usually had the scribes and the Pharisees. And so the scribes were one of those groups. And so one of the scribes comes up to him and actually says this, says, Lord, no, says teacher, called him rabbi, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And that's us in the service. Lord, I'll go with you wherever you say. In the back of your mind, you're going, but please just not and fill in the place you'd never want him to send you. I ain't going to fill it in for you. But he says, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus' response to him is interesting. Once again, you would think, really? You're a follower? Great. Here, let me tell you. He goes, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In essence, what he was saying, really? You'll follow me wherever? He said, I'm homeless. And I were to lay his head. That phrase is, there was no house that he called home of his own. There was no place. And remember, he went and lived with whomever would take them in and visitors. Yes, he had his home of his mom, and he had long gone left that, and his life would be over the area. So he said to him, animals fare better than me. Ever live in a foxhole? 
And for those back in the day who were in the military, foxhole did not represent Marriott luxury. For those who lived in a foxhole, it wasn't like being at the Conrad. It wasn't like being at the Ritz-Carlton. So he said, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests. But when he refers to himself as the son of man, he is talking about his human self. That's how he refers to himself as a man. He says, but I don't have a place of my own to lay my head in every night. In essence, he was saying to him, still want to follow me? He says, where I may take you is not going to represent the lifestyle that you're used to. I know we have people today that are telling you guys, come to Jesus and he'll hook you up. This time next year, boy, you'll be living your best life. And I'm going, how do you know that? You have no idea what Jesus has in store. But the question is, will I still follow you? This first person represents someone who spoke too soon without thinking. That's what this first person represents. Lord, I, I'll just, I'll, I'll go anywhere, Father. Where do you want me to go? And you haven't even thought about what that meant. You haven't even thought about what that might cost me. You haven't thought about what I might have to give up to do that. You never thought the hurdles that I'll have to climb or the struggles that I have to go through. All I'm thinking about is I see this really popular guy. Crowd is around him. He could really build my network. Coming to Jesus can, boy, you can, you can get, if he can do that, if he can just speak and a, and a guy and our way is healed, if he can touch someone of a disease that no one touches you, people had heard about him by then. As you read the latter part of, I mean, the middle part of chapter 8, what you hear was he was healing many. He walked into Peter's mother-in-law's house and, 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 and heals her of a fever that was, that was really bad. And, and, and he said he healed others and they brought the demon possessed, which at that particular time, that was, that was things that they stood away from. Demon possession in that time was huge. And they didn't know what to do with those people. And Jesus was dismissing them left and right. And so you're looking at him and saying, I want to be with that guy because he's someone to be with. Jesus is the one that I'd walk down any street in any hood with and not worry about it. Yeah, I'm with him. I'm with him. Do something. Why? Because he had just demonstrated such authority and power, and he had demonstrated that he had authority over, over human sickness and spiritual sickness. He had authority over distance and up close. But boy, they didn't realize that following him would cost. And he says, where I'm going, you may not want to be if you're used to comfort. Now, I'm going to ask for you and I, what happens when following Christ brings discomfort? What happens when following Christ takes away from what you thought life would be like instead of adding to it? You still up for following? That's what he said. He said, have you thought about you may lose some friends? Have you thought about 
it may cost a job. Have you thought about it may cause you to walk a lonely road? You may keep everything you have, and life may be materially going well, but when you stand up for Christ, understand you are always going against the tide. This world does not love him. They've not fallen in love with him. He is not the popular one to follow. And so he says to him, look, Jesus will make demands on you. And you have to think, will I be willing to do them? Jesus will make demands on how you treat and deal with people. And so you can no longer just do what you want and say what you want and treat people anyhow. He's made demands. You, you can't do that. You, you can't just respond back and say, I'm going to give him a piece of my mind when he ticks me off or when she does something that she shouldn't have. <clears throat> I can't do or say anything like I used to. Or Jesus will make demands on the way that you spend your money. And you go, now you're getting into other people's business. You, you, you need to leave it alone. Jesus ain't, Jesus ain't messing with my money. I'm going to spend it how I want because I earned it. Jesus will make demands on how you spend your money and where you invest and how you invest it. Is it just for you? Oh, 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 you want me to give the others? Well, they, they're not deserving of it. God said, who has the standard for deserving? And then he whispers in our ear, were you deserving of salvation? Jesus will make demands on the way you entertain yourself. And he says, yeah, you can do just about anything that's not illegal where you are not doing something that's sinfully wrong. But God says, are you thinking about other people around you when you entertain yourself? Are you thinking about how this leads others away from me or to me when you entertain yourself? Well, it's, it's how I entertain myself. Who cares? God says, if you're following me, sometimes it's costly. Jesus will make demands on the way you plan your future. Lord, I'm a, I'm a, and I'm a, and you put in whatever you're going to do, and you haven't consulted one day with the Lord. God, is this what you want? Is this where you want me to go? Is this how you are leading? Not that God is against you bettering yourself. He's not. Not that God is against you getting a promotion on your job. He's not. But is this future, has it been looked at through the lens of the will of God or just through what you want? And so it's not only that, he says to us, not only was there now the person who didn't count the costs, we're going to get into in a moment the person who doesn't think is urgent enough or valuable enough to follow him. But let me ask this question first. If following Jesus or if discipleship doesn't cost us anything, what do we really have? If it's a costless decision. And I want to say this too, if, and I had to write this one down. If I can embrace Jesus and have the same outlook, the same desires, the same future and values as before I embraced him, have I really embraced him? Or have I just added Jesus to my mix? Have I just included him in my good life? Part of a good life is, and you put the list, and in it, you better include Jesus. 
And he says, no. He says, when you make your plans and when you make your list, I need to be the one consulted. And I, meaning through his word, and God, this is how you would have us to do this, knowing that I hold it loosely because he may change it. He may decide that you are we're going to do something different. Many of you have heard when we were moving back, one of the places we actually had thought about and had looked at living was Charlotte. We had thought about that, and my family's about two hours from there. They're in the North Carolina area, and we looked at that, and you know what? When we left here, we sold our house, and we had not known that we were going to be coming back here. And so we're looking to come back. We started looking at there and looked at schools and places and knew the side of the city in Charlotte that we would kind of live in if we went there. And, and I mean, didn't have jobs, so that, that, that was all just thought, you know, because you had to have some money that you make when you get there. But then we were looking at that, and we were looking and, and planning. And then when we came here to visit this one year, about a year or two before we moved back, we went down to visit my family there and spent a day and then a night in Charlotte and, and, and got there and had all these ideas and thoughts. And then we had said one time, we, we, we separately in our minds, Levette and I were going, eh, we had so much built up. And got there and was just like, not feeling it. I, I, I don't know, Lord, that this is, and, and, but it was our plan. And then the Lord started pulling and tugging, had conversations with Marcellus just as far as how the church was going. And, and I was going, I'm planning on going back to Indy. There's nothing wrong with Indy, nothing wrong with you guys at all either. But I was like, we were, we were trying to get warmer, not colder. We were trying to get down in that area, and it was booming and bustling and growing, and, and I would have been closer to family then. And you know what? When people came to visit, they don't have to ask what's the good time of year to come. Because it's too cold. And one of the things was just like, as the Lord made it clear more and more that we were to come back here, I just felt my little attitude. Well, I didn't, I, Lord, I, that wasn't in my plan. And then I heard myself think. That wasn't in my plan. And God was like, really? So this is about your plan. And then he began to just open and unveil for me and for us that, yes, this was where. And can I tell you, I'm so glad we ain't moved to Charlotte. As nice as the city it is, and if I, and any of you are moving there, you got room that we can come visit. It'd be great. But you know what, though? I realized his plan was here, and there was no better place to be now. Did that mean that it didn't come without a cost? Well, hey, winter time, I'm going Charlotte would be really good about now. But you know what, though? There's no better place than in the will of God at the time, wherever he wants. I would not have, and I would not trade this for anything. Why? Because I know this is where he has us. But then something else is going to come up after that that will test that. But then, so it is, will I embrace him? The second one is the person who doesn't see the value of following Jesus. He says, and Jesus said to him, foxes have holes. But of course, I don't have a place to lay my head. Verse 21, another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury the dead. I'm sorry, that sounds savage. Like, Jesus, that's cold, dude. Wow. How do dead bury dead, first of all? So you have to understand the phrase, but just that phrase, his response, you were like, you know, if, if you were in that conversation, you would have gone, ooh, wow. 
that was kind of tough. Did, did, you, did you need to hit him with that, Jesus? Until you realize what he was saying, one of two things he could have been saying. First thing is that either his father died, which is highly unlikely because he probably wouldn't have been talking to Jesus at that time had he been in the midst of mourning, but something that his father had died and he wanted the time to take care of family business and to go bury his father and to go handle what was going on. Others believe then that the other cultural scenario is that his family is aged and and that he is, and it was culturally a high value, especially for sons, <coughs> especially for sons, I have two of them, to take care of their aging parents until they did pass, taking care of all that happened. Now, this is Jewish culture. I know this is not this culture. And so he was, and so he was saying, let me go and take care of my family first. And then I'll come and follow you when he's dead and buried and I got everything taken care of and I got time for you, Jesus. This is the second person who says, I'll come when I have time. Or he doesn't see the urgent value of following Jesus. So Jesus' response was, wake up. He said, follow me. Like right now. That's a command. That's an urgent command. You're wanting to wait till later. Don't even know if you have later, but you're saying, I'll follow you when. And he says to you, okay. He says, I want you to follow me above, above your cultural values. If I am second to your values, guess who's God in your life? Your values. If I am second to your culture, guess who's why? Because Jesus will help you in culture, but when it replaces him, it becomes God. Anything that steps in front of Jesus becomes Lord. And so we can take that anywhere. Don't just get, I'll bury my father. Really, what he was saying is let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. That's what he actually was saying. Let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. You follow me since you're here and wanting to ask about that. And here's what he says with it. Look. We says, Lord, I'll follow you today when I get my education finished. Just, just, just let me finish up my education, and then I'll come and I'll follow you. Some people say, no, not now. I'm young, and, and I got my life ahead of me. I'll come when I'm, when I'm, when I'm in my mid-age or when I'm older. That's the time that you become a Christian. Some people will say, look, 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 Lord, let me get my career going. That's all I need. So let me get my career going. Then I'll come and follow you. Do we hear ourselves? We'll say, Lord... Just give me some time to hang out with my friends and, 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 and just got chill a bit. I'll come after that. If we put anything in front and then say, I'll follow you after, Jesus says, you don't want to follow me. Why? Because that thing is your Lord. That thing is in front of me. He said, there can be nothing else but me, and everything else comes after. He's not opposed to your education. He's not opposed to your career. He's not opposed to you getting married, taking that dream vacation. He said, but when you say following you is hindering that, you really don't want to follow me. And so he says to both of us, discipleship has a cost. 
But then the last thing that he talks about here is as he's en route. Remember what we said happened at first. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. Remember that. Remember that. He gave orders to go over to the other side. And so we pick up in verse 23. And he says, and when he got into the boat, what boat? The boat that he said, go over to the other side of the lake. When he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. I love that. The two people that he left on the shore had issues following him, but his true disciples got in the boat with him and followed him. These were people that had decided, I'm going with him. I'm going with him. Y'all can stay here on the shore. I'm going with him. And so they got in the boat and they left. My third point for this one is where I think many of us get tripped up. Following Jesus does not exempt you from the storm. Do we see that? They were following the expressed command of Jesus. What did he say in the beginning? Let's go to the other side. And they got in the boat to go to the other side. They were following Jesus' order, command, him as their Lord. They got in and they followed. And they probably just thought like any other day, we're just going to go about our business as we can. But like life on the Sea of Galilee, Lake Kenneret is, because it is 700 feet below sea level, sitting up in the hills and the mountains there, today the Golan Heights will come up on one side, it is very susceptible to storms because cold air comes over the mountain, meets the warm air of the lake, and can produce some very, even today, very, very violent storms at a moment's notice. And this day it did. And Jesus knew it. He wasn't surprised. If you thought he was caught off guard, you don't know Jesus. And so they get in the boat and they head out. Now, understand there are some fishermen on this boat that are used to that lake. Their business is on that lake. They're on that lake every day. There's no need to be afraid. They can read and they can tell. But they get out in the middle and it says, suddenly, I like what the verse says. It says, and behold, or suddenly, some versions, without a moment's notice. There arose a great storm. Interestingly enough, the word that Matthew uses for storm, seismos, interesting, is where we get seismic activity from, that word seismic. It, is a, it, it really is what they talk about earthquakes, but he used, it, he used that word as not a typically used word. He used it for storm. It was violent, and then he puts great in front of it. He already used the word that would let it know it is not your everyday storm. But then he says, great. And now what he's done is it is an extremely violent storm such that the fishermen in the crew got scared. Okay, let me help you out. If you are on a plane and the pilots are scared, y'all need to start praying. If you are on a cruise ship, and the captain and his crew are extremely nervous, you better be on your knees. They're used to it, and they were afraid. And so the storm starts, and it says it got so bad, it says that the waves covered it. And actually that word for cover really means the waves concealed it. In other words, you couldn't see the boat when the waves crested on the boat. So, of course, water was coming in. Of course it was. 
But they were following Jesus. They were following Jesus' order. They were doing what Jesus said, that you can be smacked in the middle of the will of God and still go through violent life storms. And you didn't do anything wrong. You don't need to go to God crying, what did I do, God, to deserve this? He said, you're living. And so we get tripped up because someone told us, and we believe that, that if you follow Jesus, you have smooth sailing, nothing to go wrong. And if it does go wrong, he'll fix it quickly. It's one of the biggest lies we've been told. We have no idea what God will allow. Jesus allowed this storm. As a matter of fact, I love it because he was probably really tired. I would like to sleep like Jesus sometimes. Instead of the term sleeping like a baby, which I don't understand because babies sleep erratically, I have no idea what they mean by sleeping by a baby because if you've ever been around a baby, they don't sleep long. I'm going to start using the phrase sleeping like Jesus in the boat. Man, I want to sleep like Jesus in the boat. Why? Because here we got waves covering the ship. Come on now, you know it's listing up and down. I've experienced that, you know, badly once. When we were overseas in Europe, we were going over from, from, from Helsinki to, to Estonia. And we took the cheap route. We could have flown directly, but we saved like, like, like 200 euro per ticket by going the one way and taking the ferry across, which was also scenic. But that day, the ferry crossing the Baltic wasn't playing. Oh, my goodness. And the waves would come, and we, were on, we weren't on the lower deck. We were on the mid-deck, and the waves would crest and would hit up against the window. Now, this is the kind of ferry that has cars underneath, so this is no small boat. It had two levels for cars and then up above and that thing was up and down. I mean, I'd, at one point, I'm walking like I'm doing lunges <laughs> as I'm trying to walk from one place. And, and, and I just thought, oh, my goodness. And that wasn't even the worst of storms. Two-hour trip of that, I was done. I wanted to kiss the ground, but too nasty. <laughs> but here's the point. That was worse than that. And sometimes as you are following Jesus, life gets worse than that, and it comes all of a sudden. You have no idea. It came out of the blue. I did not expect and have time to plan or prepare. Here it comes, and I'm thinking, God, really? And God says, really? Because it is part of following him. And it gets so bad. And you know what? You're in Jesus' boat. You're doing the right thing, and it seems like he's doing nothing. And for you and I, God, why are you asleep in my life right now? God, why are you not coming to my rescue? And so I love what they do. They get up, and to their credit, here's the deal. To their credit, the fishermen go to the carpenter. Uh, Jesus' profession coming up carpentry, and the fishermen who were tried, true, and tested on the water, they run up to him and says, here, it says, look, and they went and woke him saying, save us, Lord, we are perishing. We're going to drown. We're going to die, Lord. <laughs> but here's what I love. They came to Jesus. Why? What did they just, dem what did they just see? They saw him speak, and the dude was, and he, they saw him 
heal a leper by just his touch. And they were seeing, they saw him cast out demons and quiet them down. They were like, okay, hold on. We got something here. They didn't know what he was going to do. But I love this in that he says, although you are in the storm, if you are in the will of God, Jesus is there. And they wake him. They call on him. Some of the versions actually say, don't you care that we're going to drown? Because just like you and I, when life is hitting us hard, we don't think Jesus cares. And we wake him up, don't you care that I'm going to die? And I love what he does. He gets up. And when he gets up, we get into our very last point, and that is Jesus is more than you can ever imagine. And you are following. Jesus is more than you can ever imagine. And this is what he does. He gets up to them, and the first thing he has to deal with is them. Why? Because their response wasn't what should have been based on what they had seen and experienced. Now, you and I would say, okay, come on. Boat is filling up with water. Waves crashing over. You can't see the boat. We know this is a violent storm. Hey, this is not the heavenly vessel. These Ships can only take but so much pounding, they're going down. What do you mean, why am I upset or afraid? What did Jesus tell them in the beginning? He said to them, go over to the other side. Remember, we're talking about the authoritative word of God. When he speaks, it will happen. And he had told them, we're going to the other side. God said, and you know what? Because when life happens, we forget what he says. We forget what he promised. We forget that he's there. His promise to us is, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Not, I will, I will never allow anything tumultuous to happen in your life. You never see that promised in the Lord. You never see, I'll never allow big trouble to come. I'll never allow disappointment to happen in your life. Why? Because he knows that what we think and plan for is not what he's looking at at times. And he says to them, he says, and he actually turns and he says to them, literally, he says, why are you being such cowards? That is how the Greek reads. Why? He says, now, I know there we get, why are you so afraid? <laughs> That's what we think about. No, he gets up and he says, why are you being such cowards? Why would he say that again? Jesus, That's like you would say, easy, Really? But what he was saying is, what did I tell you when we got in this thing? What did I say to you? When, and I'm in here. Did you really think with the mission I had that I'm going down? Really? You didn't think. God, they are just such an assault on the church. And oh my gosh, God, they're going to run over the church. God was like, are you serious? I died. I bled, I died, I got whipped like beyond recognition on the cross, laid in that old nasty grave for three days, and, and, and then I rose so that I can have my church taken down? Really? God said, stop forgetting what I've said. Now, what he didn't say is, everything's going to be okay. Because what if it cost me my life? He said, I still haven't betrayed my word. I'll never leave you. And when you leave here, you'll get into eternity. Well, Lord, what if, what if this takes me out? Then it was time to go. 
But I didn't want to go. There we go, back on what you want. Because that's how we are. And so what does he say to them? He says to them, why are you so afraid or why are you such cowards? And, you know, and then he says, oh, you of little faith. Now, please don't get this mixed up with you have to kind of conjure up this super juice faith. I already said that. When he talks about oh, you of little faith, he's talking about the quality of your faith. In other words, you didn't believe what I said. And so now it has caused fear to overtake you. And you're screaming at me as if all life is about to end. My mission is still intact. You will be on earth as long as Jesus wants you, as you are doing his will, as you are in his boat, as you are living for him. You will be around as long as he wants. And when you no longer are around, it's because he was like, done, time to come home. So what that does is that makes for a fearless disciple, not a foolish one, not crazy doing stupid things, but a disciple who is secure and saying, I know I'm experiencing whatever challenge it is, financial, health, uh, education, you filling in, I'm in Jesus. And I'm in his boat. He's not in my boat. Because when Jesus got into the boat, it was like today. Air Force One is a plane, right? But actually, any plane the president is one is on becomes Air Force One. So if he was not on the actual Air Force One, one of the two that they have, if he were to step on a 737 today because his two weren't working and he were to go somewhere, that plane becomes Air Force One because now the president has commandeered it. How much more Jesus? Any boat that Jesus is in is his and you are in it. And so whenever you and I, my boat Jesus says, I'm sorry, it's mine now. And so you are following him. But then this is what he does. He does two things. He calms the storm inside of them. That's when he, he, he asks, why are you so cowardly? And then he turns and he calms the storms outside of them. Because that's what Jesus does. And when he does it, he turns and he says to the storm, he said he rebukes the storm. In other words, that word really, he censures. He goes, shh, shh, no, 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 no. You imagine that. Okay, please don't try this at home. In the middle of gale force winds, in the middle of a tornado, you go out and go, no, 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 no. We will be mourning at your funeral. But he goes out and he, when, when he says he rebukes, he goes, <clears throat> that word is a word of disapproval. He says, oh, no, no. And it stops. Not gradually all of a sudden, the verse says there was a great calm. Remember, there was a great storm because that's what happens in our life. And because of Jesus, there's great calm. He uses both those terms. Why? Because that's what happens with him. He is more than you can ever imagine. He speaks to it. It stops immediately. The context says it ceases at that moment. And you know they're sitting there going, like I would have been. What just happened? Because you know you and I would be, come on. You know they're not sitting in the boat. Wow, look at that. <laughs> you speak, and the storm, which is an act of nature, which Jesus at that point demonstrated his authority over nature now. And so he just says, stop. It stops. 
And it says at the end, they were astonished. They were still a little faith because they go, okay, it says, what, what, what kind of, again, the word says, what sort of man is this? Hold on a second. Well, we've never seen any. We haven't even heard of anything like this. What kind of man is this that the wind and the sea obey him? Authority demonstrated. And so Jesus is saying, if I can quiet your storm, if I can calm the actual storm, if I can calm your heart, won't you follow me? Aren't I worth it? And you know what he said? Am I worth the cost? So really, when he does that, that is a real mic drop. Now, will you follow me? Because there's nothing that can keep you from living out what I want. And so discipleship has a cost. Will you follow him? Jesus doesn't play to the crowd. He's always on mission. Jesus tells us that discipleship and his demands are costly. Jesus does, following Jesus does not exempt us from storms. And lastly, Jesus is more than you can ever imagine. And with that, he goes, follow me. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much, Lord, that we are following the greatest authority of all. We are following the one who has demonstrated authority over human sickness and, and over the spirit world of demon possession. And your word works 